Welcome to the Grove Church's message podcast. My name is Julie Penta, and I am the lead pastor of the Grove Church, which is located in Fort Collins, Colorado. We hope this message inspires you to live for Christ more fully. For more information, visit our website at thegrovecommunity.net and check out our Instagram, thegrovefc. Whether you grew up in church or whether you're new to the church thing, you know something of the Christmas story. And by the Christmas story, I don't mean this movie that some of you have seen. You know, I found out some really interesting information last night. Any, any Christmas movie that you could think of that's a classic besides Elf, which is more of like a modern classic, Pastor Nicole has not seen. So we need to do a little bit of corporate shaming, even though we're completely not about that here at the Grove, that she would see some of these classics for the first time. And I was reminded that there is this quote in the movie where this little kid, the entire story is about him kind of wanting to get a BB gun. And one of the, the common things that people say is, you'll shoot your eye out, kid. So maybe you know something of the Christmas story of this one. If you don't, like I said, whether or not you have grown up in church or whether you're new to this thing, you have heard something of the Christmas story at some point in your life. And I'm talking about this kind of Christmas story with the nativity scene, the manger. So my question for you all this morning is, can you relate to anybody in this nativity scene? Is there anybody that you kind of relate to in the Christmas story? Who do you identify with? Maybe it's Joseph, the father of Jesus, sort of, uh, the, the father that raised him, maybe you can identify with the fact that he was just a good guy that wanted to do the right thing. He wanted to provide for his family. Maybe that's you, whether you're a, a woman or a man. Of just You kind of want to do the right thing in the world. You want to take care of your family. You want to be a good person. And then maybe you can identify with the shepherds in the story. They were people that loved working with their hands. They loved being outside. Maybe they're a little bit stinky and smelly because they haven't showered in many days. Maybe you can relate to that person. Maybe you can relate to Mary, the virgin mother. Maybe not. Maybe not, uh, you know, somebody that has a baby that, you know, how the story goes. Maybe you can relate to that, maybe not. And then maybe there is Herod, who is the villain in our story. Now, Herod isn't in the nativity scene. And the reason, because He's the villain. He's the bad guy in the story. If he was in the manger, I think he would actually be in the background. Like he would be one of the characters that was like sneaking around the side. He'd be doing one of these things in the background. Like, I'm going to take Christmas down. He'd be kind of the Grinch character, the Ebenezer Scrooge before they decided to get better. Herod is this guy who was all about control. He wanted to control his life, he wanted to control other people, and it made his life really stressful, and it made other people's lives really stressful. He was a control freak. Now maybe some of you can relate to that. Maybe you're not at control freak status, but there are things in your life that you really like to control. Maybe it's your finances, maybe it's the remote, Maybe it's driving in the car versus letting somebody else drive. Maybe it's your kids. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's your friends. There's all, all of us have these little areas in our life that we're, we're honest. We really like to be in control over. And sometimes Christmas brings this out. It highlights our need for control because there's so many moving pieces to it. Now for me, 
I've realized that the thing that I really struggle with control over during Christmas time is the color of the lights on my Christmas tree. Anybody have like a really hard decision or really like you are really firm in the fact that you either want your lights on your tree to be multicolored or or white? Anybody care about this? (laughs) So the only people that care about this in the room besides Nicole is Joseph and I. And let me fill you in on something. We have different opinions on what color the Christmas tree should be. Now, because there's so many choices in our modern world, we got a Christmas tree that you can step on it and it changes. It has all these different functions. It can be multicolored and then it can be like multicolored sparkling. And then it can be white or it can be white sparkling. And I don't know why, but I care so very strongly that our tree has the white colored lights on it. That's what I want. I just like it to be more uniform, I don't know, I think it looks better. Well, not only does my husband like the multicolored lights, but my little three-year-old, the very first time that he saw the Christmas tree and the multicolored lights turn on, his face lit up with like the real magic of Christmas. And he goes, that is such a beautiful Christmas tree. And I was like, dang it, why do you like the multicolored lights? And so when he's not looking, I'll go over and I'll walk over to the tree and I'll step on the little controller, I'll turn it back white. And then all day long, there's this battle of the wills in our house between me and my three-year-old of what color the Christmas lights are on the Christmas tree. And you know, you think that I would be a bigger person and just give in to what my kid wants on Christmas, but I'm not, and I keep pressing the button. So for me, this is this area of control. We all have it. I have it. You have it, and this guy named Herod had this need to control things in his life. And so we are going to read in Matthew chapter two, verse one, about Herod's need for control. This is where we pick up the story. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. When Herod heard this, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed in all Jerusalem with him. Here in the Bible, it mentions that Herod's response to Jesus being born was not to be excited, but it was to be disturbed. And for many people growing up in this time, Jesus being born was something that they had been waiting for for thousands of years. They were waiting for this chosen one, what they called the Messiah, who was going to come and make things better, who was going to come and forgive them of their sins, to turn their world upside down. But that was not Herod's response. His response was to be disturbed because it threatened his need to be in control. And here is why. Let me give you a little bit of background on Herod because it's really interesting and I think that it sheds some light on the story and why he felt such a need to be in control. Herod's dad was really good friends with a guy named Julius Caesar. Yes, that actual real Julius Caesar. Herod's dad and Julius Caesar were buddies. And as a favor, Julius Caesar decided to make Herod's dad one of the leaders, one of the rulers of Israel. So he grows up being this favored child, a child that's used to hanging out with Julius Caesar and Mark Antony and Cleopatra. This is his world. He has has everything he could possibly want. 
And then one day, Julius Caesar is murdered in 44 BC. He is murdered. And these two guys come rising up to power. Herod is friends with them. And in a play of power and things that happen, Herod is given control of Judea, of part of Israel. He is made king of Israel. Can you imagine being made king because you're good friends with a bigger king of another part of the world? And through that, he has been gone. He's gone to school. He's really smart. And so he decides to start making all of these improvements to Israel and Jerusalem. He builds theaters. He builds building and aqueducts. He brings in a ton of wealth. And Israel starts to experience the benefits of his brilliance. And then he marries a woman that he is in love with. I mean, just like gaga over this woman and has a bunch of kids, many sons. Now, you think about his life on paper and the facts and you're going, this is the dream, right? This is what every person wants, to be revered, to be smart, to have these gifts and skills that you can use to benefit your society, to get married, to have kids. He's got it all. It should have been enough. And yet it wasn't. Herod was a miserable, miserable person. It's not documented as much in the Bible, but it is documented in many other sources in history books, ancient texts. He was miserable. He had a lot of depression, a lot of anxiety, and his MO became, if anybody threatened him, took him out. Not only did he take out people that weren't his kids, or his family members, because he was worried they were gonna steal his throne. But he got suspicious of his very wife that he loved and some of his children. And he had his wife killed, and he had a bunch of his kids killed because he was worried that they were going to take over the throne. Talk about a person whose control got out of control and led to them being really miserable. And it led to him feeling this reaction disturbed. And when we pick up in the story, Herod is 70 years old and he's dying. He's got a condition called arterial sclerosis, which is a heart condition. And in a couple of years, we know from history books and from historians that he would be dead in a couple of years. And then this king, this miserable king that needs control, that can't handling anybody threatening his kingdom, he hears that five miles away in a town called Bethlehem, there is a new baby Jewish king that has been born. And he's threatened. And the ridiculous thing about it is he knew he was dying. He was in a ton of pain. He couldn't even walk across the room at this point in his life. And yet there's a baby that is born and he is still so threatened by this baby even though he knows that there is no way that he will be alive when this new baby king was old enough to actually be king. It was completely irrational. His fear was irrational. His control and his need for control was out of control. And Christmas has a way of doing this to all of us. It kind of it brought out the control freak in Herod and sometimes it can expose our need to control because Christmas says, hey listen, there's a new king in town and he's not you. There is somebody else that is meant to be in charge, and it is not you. And when control freaks feel threatened, they go into hyper-control mode. They become control takers. 
They try to get more and more and more, and it tends to make them a little bit miserable. And so here's what he does next as he dives into the season of life where he wants to be a control taker. Picking it up in verse four, it says, when he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born because it had already been written down. So he asked them, hey, where was it prophesied? Where did the people back in the day say that the Messiah was going to be born? And then they said, in Bethlehem in Judea, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. He tries to figure out exactly where and exactly when this little baby was born so he could try to figure out who he is, not so that he can go and worship him like he told the Magi, but because Herod has a very specific MO. I'm threatened, take out the child. He was trying to kill the child. And spoiler alert, the Magi did not go back and tell Herod where the child was because they were born by God, so they left and they didn't tell him. And so therefore, Herod is left with this need to take control, and he's going, I feel out of control, I don't know what to do, there's this new baby king, I don't know who he is, and so therefore, I am going to issue a decree that takes control and kills all of the babies in that town, in that region that were under two. That way I can make sure that I take out the future king. Can you imagine, and we know from history, that this actually in fact happened and a lot of innocent little baby boys were murdered because this king lost control of his need for control and he became a control taker. But what if it didn't have to be this way? What if we could be in our life and in the Christmas season and we would not have this need to control? What if there was a different way to go about it? Because we don't wanna walk in the example of Herod and try to take more and more control out of our life and lead it to the point where we're absolutely miserable. What if there was another way? And in the Bible, they talk about another way. There was this group of people called the Magi and they were, a group of really influential people from very far away that were very knowledgeable, very respected, very rich. And they see this star come into the sky and they are led to believe from their interactions with Jewish people from back in the day that this star was signaling that the Messiah was coming. And they decided to go follow that very star. And here is what they did when they got to Jesus. We're gonna pick up this story in verse nine. It says, after they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another road. Here's the difference. 
Herod hears about this king being born, and he's disturbed, stressed out, takes control. He becomes a control taker. The magi from this foreign land who were just as wealthy and rich and influential, they hear that there's this baby king being born, and they are not just joyful, they are overjoyed, which is like a whole nother upgraded level of joyous. They are so happy to learn about the fact that there had been this king that was born. Now here's the deal, here's the difference. They hadn't been in control from the second that they heard about the star coming. From the second that they saw the star, they were going about their lives. They were probably getting married, having jobs, hanging out with their family. They had a life going on in a foreign country where they spoke a foreign language. They see a star coming and they stop everything that they're doing to go follow it. Can you imagine? Can you imagine Really, right now, what it would be like in your life if you saw a star go in the sky and you thought, I'm going to drop everything to go look into Jesus more. They were giving up control. They probably had things going on. It might not have been the best timing for them. And yet they thought, we are going to go give up control and go find this king. And then once they did, What it says is that they bowed down to him and they gave him gifts that you would give a king. They gave him gifts that you would give a God, a priest. And the very gifts that they gave symbolized that they thought that he was a king. And they were giving up their power to this little tiny baby. And yet that is what made them feel overjoyed. And we see this difference and this relationship between control and disturbingness and being unhappy and giving up control and being a control giver and experiencing joy. So what does that look like for us in our own lives? What does it look like to maybe be a little bit more like a magi? These people that gave up control because we see that the people that had the least amount of control had the most joy. And the people that had the most amount of control, that took the most amount of control, had the least amount of joy. And just so you know, when I'm talking about joy, I'm, I'm not talking about happiness. I think they're very different things. We've talked about this before at the Grove. Happiness is based on all circumstances, like I got the gifts that I wanted, I got the parking spot that I wanted, and that makes me happy. Whereas joy is not about circumstances, it's about your heart and your attitude. And so they were experiencing this joy and showing us that there is a relationship between control and joy. And the more of it that we give up, the more joy that we experience. And if you don't believe me, this has been a theme of our life between our relationship with God from the very beginning. In fact, in the Garden of Eden, God and people interacted together in person, in perfection. How cool would that have been to see, to actually see God? And I've been having so many conversations with my little three-year-old about, about God and trying to explain to him who he is, and he is asking the best questions because he's like, well, I wanna see him. Where is he? And I'm like, good question, buddy. And then I try to explain to him where he is and why we can't see him. But he's going, but if this is such an important person in my life, like, why can't I see him? I want to see him. And back in the Garden of Eden, God was physically present with Adam and Eve. 
And he says to them, listen, I want you to have this beautiful life. I want you to experience the beauty of this garden and to be in relationship with each other. But all that I want you not to do is just to not take some fruit from this tree, which is the knowledge of good and evil, which is basically don't try to be in control of your own life because I'm here, I'm controlling things. And because of that, it's wonderful for you. And yet Adam and Eve doubted God. They doubted his goodness and they sat around and they basically said, we wanna be in control. So we're gonna take the fruit because we wanna be in control of our own life. And they did. And things have been chaotic ever since. But the fact of the matter is, when we give up control of our life to God, things tend to go better. Because God is smarter than us. Because God knows what is best for us. Here's the best way that I can describe it. Uh, many, many years ago, I was living in South Florida, and there was a plane crash um, in the mid-90s that crashed into the Everglades. It had taken off from Miami Airport. Something went wrong. There was a fire. It crashed into the Everglades a few miles from my house. And as an impressionable youth, it very much affected me. And there was news about them trying to get this plane out of the swamp. If you know anything about the Everglades, it's just a giant swamp. So they're trying to extract the plane and the people. And it starts this deep fear of mine for flying that still I can... I can like pray myself and Jesus myself out of it on, on most flies, on most flying experience, but I'm still kind of terrified of airplanes. And so I'm in this airplane and I'm always so thankful that I am not flying it. During the recording of the sermon, we experienced technical difficulties. This concludes this week's message. We encourage you to give Jesus, the ultimate pilot who knows everything, control in your life. We believe this will help you experience joy in its fullest. Tune back in next week for the next message in our series, Let There Be Light. Thanks for listening to the message of the week. If you were inspired by this message and would like to speak with a pastor, check out our website at thegrovecommunity.net for more info.